This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program, The End of the Week. It's the word to stand on for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is, as I hope you know by now, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, anything and everything on your heart. I'll do the best I can. All you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. That's 340 340- 9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at 877 630 KSLR. That's 630 5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, one button call now, you'll be connected directly to our studio producer, and you'll be able to use the hands-free feature, and we'll keep you safe. One more time, our main number is 340-9585. We'll be close the week uh, with the program today. I want to thank you for your prayers. Paula just now emailed me and let me know that her and the other girls have arrived safely in Tyler. Um, remember, she'll be speaking three times tomorrow, and I would just appreciate, and I know she would too, uh, knowing that people are praying for her throughout the day, uh, we would consider that a real, real blessing. So thank you for that very, very much. I've got a really good weekend plan, not because Paula's gone. I have a good weekend plan because I really, really like the messages that I'm doing this weekend. Uh, I think they're really important. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, uh, verses 12 through 20 tonight, uh, I hope is really encouraging. And then on Sunday, we're going to start Luke chapter 13. We are in that place where uh, Jesus is telling us about the problems we're going to have with our families. And that's a situation common to all of us. So uh, I hope and pray that that, uh, the Lord will use that message as well. Okay, let's get to the questions we have while we wait for any of your phone calls. Uh, The first one is... An anonymous one, it says, Pastor Ron, why do Christians talk about some sins but not others? I've never heard a sermon on being fat. Um, anonymous, a couple of things. One, you need to check your heart when you ask a question like that. Um, I know, every, let me rephrase, every pastor I know that teaches through the Bible verse by verse, that's what we do here at Calvary Chapel, we teach about gluttony, we teach about being healthy, we teach about having bodies that are used by God, but why would anybody want to do a message about being fat? Now, I'm speaking to you as a former obese person. The Lord was able to grab my heart and, and fix that, but 
Um, remember, we want to be kind and we want to be loving. Now, I think I know where you're coming from. The idea here is you talk about homosexuality, you talk about the other thing, but, but, but being fat or gluttony is a sin that nobody ever addresses. Um, you really need to check your heart. I think the best thing, Anonymous, about teaching the Bible the way the Lord has instructed me to do it here at Calvary Chapel is we can't miss anything. Now, we live in a world where being obese is sort of an acceptable sin. People are probably too nice and too kind to call people on it. But don't discount the work of the Holy Spirit. He's always working on the hearts of people. He wants us to be healthy. God doesn't care how we look, by the way. But what he wants us to do is be healthy enough to serve. He doesn't want us to miss out on rewards. He doesn't want us to, to die before the time uh, that would normally happen. So we need to uh, cooperate with God in those areas. But um, I, I think you understand that the difference in practicing homosexuality and being overweight is a huge difference. Not all sin is the same. Now, all sin separates us from God. For sure. But not all sin is the same. In fact, sexual sin, according to the Apostle Paul, has a very special place in the plan of Satan. He says, All other sins are sins a man commits outside of his body, but when he sins sexually, he sins against his own body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the inference is clearly there that when we sin sexually, we give Satan a deeper inroad a foothold so that he can harass us in his attempt to destroy us. So don't equate sins. They're, again, all sins separate us from God. And apart from Jesus Christ, the result of sin is that we're going to spend eternity separated from God. But there are sins that are worse than others, and sexual sin of all types, not just homosexuality, but sexual sin of all types is a sin that God wants us to deal with. So check your heart just a little bit. I hope that's understandable. Let's go to um, line one. We've got Jim from San Antonio. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. The camera man, Bruce Booth, is... Make yeah, sure Jim nobody is off. sees that. Jim, are you on the air? Okay. Let's let's get away from Jim. Let's go to Charles on line two from San Antonio. Hey, Pastor. Hi, Charles. How you been? Um, I'm doing well. I, Thank you, Charles. That's good. I miss y'all so much. Oh, Thank you, Charles. I miss, I miss you and Mom and Paula so much, man. Lord, uh, <laughs> I mean, the devil has had his hand on us so bad. Uh, Put Laura in the hospital. Um, she was in a rehab facility for over a month, uh, and then she got out, and then she went back in the hospital and got out and went back and then hospital. Uh, it's just been a headache, one headache after another. Every time we were determined that, oh, no, we're going to church this morning, and something always gets in the way. I mean, the devil is, is just working, and I miss y'all so much. Oh, Charles, uh, and, 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 I try and to, we, you... This this is what Charles. You know, this is when you really need to dig in and fight. You you know you're in a fight for your life, and the only one that can fight for you is Jesus. So this is where 
You've got to press in as never before, even when you don't feel like it, even when it seems like all the circumstances in the world are coming against you. Uh, you've got to fight like crazy. Let Jesus do the fighting for you, but uh, you got to press on. What's your question, Charles? Not just, I don't have a question. I just wanted to okay. call to see. I haven't heard. I haven't spoken to y'all in so long. I haven't. I haven't been to church in so long. Um, you know. I mean, the, one of the associate pastors knew what, go, what was going on, but I, I've, you know, I haven't heard him. Like if he, they called a check, you know, for checking on. You know, but I just wanted to see how y'all was doing. And, uh, you know, we're going to try everything in our power if we can't make it in uh, to at least, you know, watch y'all live on, on the on the app and stuff. Uh, but I was just, my question, the real, real big question is, if you and Mama Paula and the entire congregation can pray for my wife, uh we just got a phone call last, uh, yesterday afternoon from a, her kidney doctor telling her that we have to come in um, as soon as possible because they found a mass on her kidney. Are you there, Pastor? Yes, I'm listening. Um, you know, that, that's you know really the biggest thing right now. Okay, Charles. Keep us posted and we'll keep praying. You keep us informed what's going on, okay? All right, Pastor. You have a blessed day. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. I'll do that. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. I know with both of those calls, there was something going on in the background that we, I hope that wasn't too confusing, but keep Charles and his wife in your prayers as well, please. Uh, Charles, um, when you come to church, when you get here, fight through the the, the, the struggles. Uh, get in my face so I can give you a hug and we can pray together. Let's go to a question from Maria. She wants to know, is praying to Mary or to the saints okay? Maria, it's not okay. Uh, There's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. He died that he would be the, the source of access to the Father. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And while it is um, um, Catholic Orthodox tradition say yes it's okay to pray to the saints let them intercede for you they're just people they're not any different than you they're not any different than me and I think we get this idea the the sort of the doctrine of the Nicolaitans that Jesus says he hates in the book of Revelation the, the, the Latin word Nico is above and the laity the laitans the people above the people and there's always been this sense of a need to elevate some people above others. And it's just not that way in the Church of Jesus Christ. So whatever your religious traditions, Maria, have taught you, it is not okay to pray to Mary or to pray to things. In fact, it would embarrass them immensely if they knew or were aware that you were praying to them. They can't hear your prayers. They can't answer your prayers. So what's the value in praying to them? And the idea that, well, uh, you know, a son listens to his mother, so you can pray to Mary and she'll go to Jesus for you. That's to miss the whole point of the, the this glorious access that we've been given by God to, to come into the Holy of Holies every single minute of every single day. So, Maria, it's not okay at all to pray to anybody except to Jesus. You can pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. You can understand that Jesus is the source of access. But remember, 
Only God is worthy of being prayed to. Only God is worthy of being worshipped. And we who are saints, and the only qualification for being a saint is to be born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then and only then, Maria, uh, are we going to hear have uh, the certainty that our prayers are going to be answered. Jesse says, Pastor Ron, I can't figure out what Christians mean when they say God spoke to me. Jesse, a lot of the people who say God spoke to me, they don't know what it means either. Let me give you an idea of what we're trying to say when that happens. It doesn't mean that God spoke audibly. Um, I've met a few people over the years that insist that when God speaks, he speaks audibly. That's simply not the case. That is deception. That's the, the enemy masquerading as an angel of light. It's simply not the case. Now, there are times, Jesse, when God can speak something so profoundly to our heart, the way I describe it is it's as though he spoke audibly. But, of course, it wasn't audible. It was the voice of God. We would all sort of just be toast, you know, at his holiness. Um, but what we mean when we say God spoke to me is that, um, that the Holy Spirit is leading us to do this or to do that, whatever it is. Um, um, I, I've said this in my testimony many times, Jesse, God spoke to my heart. It was March 4th, 1994, and told me to begin praying for the people of San Antonio, Texas. And Paul and I had never been to Texas. We didn't know anybody in Texas. Furthermore, we never wanted to come to Texas. But one day, just me and the Lord, I'm out walking in the mountains. It was a beautiful, sunshiny day. And at the same time, um, it was almost as though Jesus was walking with me, you know, just like I'd walk with a friend or I'd walk with Paula. And it was like he sort of elbowed me in the ribs and said, hey, I got something for you. Begin praying for the people in San Antonio, Texas. Now, again, I didn't hear him audibly, but I knew it was so profound, Jesse, that I I had my Bible with me. I took it out, wrote it. March 4th, 1994, God told me to begin praying for the people in San Antonio, Texas. Um, ultimately, that led to me coming here and starting a church. So that's what we mean when it says God spoke to me. Now, often, in fact, most often, Jesse, when God speaks to us, he speaks to us when we're reading the Bible. And one thing I can know for sure when I'm reading my Bible is that God is speaking to me through it. So I'm going to get answers to questions. I'm going to get direction for my life. Um, I'm going to... To, to receive correction and sometimes redirection if I've messed up. But God speaks to us almost always in his word. But there are times when God speaks to us by just depositing a word in our hearts. And while that's not the most reliable way to hear the Lord, it's a way that we need to practice. You know, we need to learn what's of God and what isn't. The, the reason, Jesse, is because there's a lot of evil spirits out there that are shouting at us, trying to confuse us. But God's got that still, small voice. And he gives us direction as we need it. You know, the, the enemy is so chatty. God just speaks as little as he needs to to give us what he needs. We have to test those things that we hear to our hearts against the word of God. First John 4, 1 says, Brothers, test the spirits, because not every spirit is from God. And if the thing that we hear lines up with the word of God, then we can have the confidence that God has really spoken to our heart. Sometimes, Jesse, and this is unfortunate, 
Christians will say, God spoke to me and told me to do this, when in fact it can be from God. I've had people over the years come and say to me, uh, Pastor Ron, God told me it was okay to get a divorce. And I'll ask, well, did your husband or did your wife cheat on you? Well, no. Are they beating you up? No. Well, then God didn't tell you to get a divorce. Yes, God wants me to be happy, and he told me that it'd be okay, and I could go in, and, and I always just say, God didn't say that to you. So sometimes, Jesse, it's when we want to act like uber-spiritual. Uh, other times, it's when we want to justify doing what we want to do anyway, and that's one of the biggest dangers. We have the ability to manipulate the voice of God, to make it say what we want it to say, and then down the road, when the trouble comes to bear, we don't have any um, problem saying, why did you tell me to do this, Lord? I, this isn't working out. And God would say to us, I didn't tell you to do that. If you knew your word, you would know that's the case. So, Jesse, I hope that makes sense. Uh, be careful when people say, especially if somebody comes up and says, um, God spoke to my heart about you, and then they tell you something God is saying about you or your life. God won't speak to you through other people, maybe a Bible study or a Bible teacher, but um, he doesn't need somebody to come and say, hey, God gave me a word for you. He's got your phone number. He knows how to get a hold of you, Jess. 340-9585, here is an anonymous question. Um, Pastor Ron, when a wife is told to submit, how far does that go? My husband asked me to do some things that are ungodly. Uh, anonymous, you're to submit as unto the Lord. You know, we men sometimes forget that as in the, the rest of the sentence. Wives, submit to your husbands, and that's all we read. But then it says, as to the Lord. If your husband is asking you to do something that Jesus wouldn't ask you to do, then you have to say no. I do it respectfully, but say no. I remember the maddest I ever was at Paula, and I mean literally the angriest I ever was, was before I got saved. Um, Paula was in that phase of praying for me to get saved. And uh, the phone rang. I, I don't like phones, never have. But um, I didn't want to talk to my partner. Uh, and um, I expected him to call. So I told Paula when the phone rang, this is the day before you, you didn't have anything, I called her ID. I said, if that's Jim, tell him I'm not home. And she said, Ron, I'm not going to lie to you. Now, she'd done it over and over, but but this time it was like she was taking a stand for Jesus, letting me know. And I said, tell him I'm not home. And she refused to do it. She just said, oh, yes, Jim, one minute, and she just handed me the phone. You see, a husband has no authority to tell a wife to lie. I've had husbands tell wives view pornography with them. Woman, you have to submit to me. No, that's not something Jesus would ask you to do. So it only goes as far anonymous as what the Word of God permits. Again, be respectful to say, look, I know that I'm supposed to submit to your leadership. However, you're leading me in the ungodly right now, and I'm not going to go there because I love Jesus too much. So, again, don't do anything that violates your conscience. Don't do anything that contradicts the Word of God. Don't do anything that's going to hinder your walk with Jesus. And let God deal with your husband. If he gets angry or if he gets fussy with you, um, he'll have to deal with the Lord. Let, let the Lord protect you. 
You know, one of the things, and I think this is something that just bad Bible teaching primarily, is we don't really understand the whole thing of submission. It's in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, when we're told that wives are to submit to their husbands, but most men can't tell you what chapter 5, verse 21 says. It says submit to one another out of fear of God or out of reverence for God. So marriage is a partnership. Marriage isn't a dictatorship. That God puts the man in charge makes him more accountable. And the man that has to tell his wife to submit really doesn't understand this whole idea of servant leadership or submission at all. And it's just one of those things where we have to be really, really careful. Men, we have to remember that we're going to give account of our stewardship over our wives. On this earth, the most precious gift that God has given you is your wife, followed by your children, and that's the order it needs to remain in always. And when we're not rightly representing Jesus to our wives, men, I want you to think for a moment, how are you ever going to explain that to Jesus? I could go farther. If you're not kind to your wife, if she doesn't feel loved, and I say often that your job is to make your wife feel like the most beautiful, the most precious, the most loved woman on the face of the earth. If you're not doing that, how are we going to explain that to Jesus on the day when we stand before him? We're not going to be able to say, well, Lord, that woman you gave me. We'll probably say something like, well, that's why I gave her to you, because I needed somebody to love her the way I wanted her to be loved. And I chose you. You know, I say all the time here at Calvary Chapel that if our faith doesn't benefit those around us, then our faith isn't genuine. There's no value in saying I'm saved. The value comes in the people around me knowing I'm saved because of the way I treat them because of my heart for people. The man who always says, you have to submit to me, or the woman you gave me, Lord, I, I'm not kind, she drives me crazy. That's a man who's misrepresenting Jesus in the most important ministry of all the ministry in his home. So I hope that answers your question. Please don't submit to anything ungodly. Uh, here's a question we got. We're inside three minutes for this half of the program. Phones are quiet. We'd love your calls at 340-9585. Roland says, I'm getting pretty tired of the campaigning already. How should a Christian approach choosing a candidate when both sides seem so far from God? Um, Roland, let me tell you something. Um, um, as I read that question, uh, you can almost hear people sighing. Yeah, me too. We're all tired of the lies. We're tired of the position. We're tired of the dishonesty. And the campaign hasn't really even gotten started good yet. Doesn't matter which side you're on. There's nothing but lies and vitriol and manipulation. And I think the most irritating thing to me, Roland, is that they just assume that we're all dumb enough that we're going to buy the little spin cycles that they throw out there. 
So rather than just getting tired of it, tune it out. People that listen to 24-hour-a-day news are unhappy people. Their focus is on things of this world instead of on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And their hearts are far from Jesus because the enemy's got them focused on other things. So instead of focusing on how to choose a candidate, how about you just pray for both sides? As you're praying for people, God will change your heart. And I believe that when you're in the will of God, being obedient like that, then the result will be that God will direct you. When you step inside and cast your vote, that the Lord will lead you and guide you and direct you. One thing I know for sure is if we're constantly angry, as 24-hour news makes us, we're really not going to be able to hear from the Lord very well at all. So Roland, I join you in getting tired of it, but I realize how much those people need Jesus. Make them the object of your ministry instead of the enemy of your ministry and pray. We have 30 minutes left in the week. You're listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life, 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. You're listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. I always get a little nostalgic as we're getting into the last 30 minutes of the week. 340-9585. We'd love your calls. Here is a question from Amy. She says, I know God doesn't condone lying, so why did he bless Rahab when she lied? Now, Amy, it's always important to remember this. Um, We know Rahab is in the Hall of Fame of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11. She's not there because she lied. She's there because she believed God. You know, God blesses his people. And Rahab was a brand new member of his family. She didn't know him at all. The only thing she had in terms of relationship with him was a relationship based on fear. So she didn't have any idea that God was good, that God was kind. So whenever you see somebody lying, in Rahab's case... Another example is is Gideon, when he threw out the fleeces. Um, Those were the response of weak faith. Now, Jesus said we only need a little mustard seed of faith. So when we lie out of fear, when we lie because we don't know what else to do, when we lie even because that's what we did before we were saved, lying is response of the flesh. But grace covered Rahab's lies. Grace covered her flesh. 
And so she makes it not only into Hebrews chapter 11. She makes it into the genealogy of Jesus. So always think about those things. The question I would ask, and this isn't personal to you, Amy, but to others, is when you lie, why do you do it? And aren't you glad God forgives and that he renews the relationship, cleanses you from all unrighteousness? God is a patient God, a a loving God, slow to anger and abounding in love. He is compassionate. God's not looking to crush. God is looking to bless. So it's not God saying, okay, I'll put her in Hebrews chapter 11, but it's really sort of over my protest. It's not that at all. What we have to remember is that she didn't know him. But she found out. Here is a question from Randy. I like this one, Randy, because I've been talking about the Great Tribulation a lot. Pastor Ron, where does the prophecy of blood moons and the sun and the moon being turned to darkness from Joel chapter 2 come into being? Well, obviously it's prophesied in the Old Testament. Joel is one of the minor prophets. But it is a prophecy of the Great Tribulation. You read Jesus's description in Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse, or Luke 21, or Mark chapter 13, um, Jesus talks about the signs of the very end. And in those last days, the seven years of the Great Tribulation, we're going to see all of these things where literally the earth is going to be changed. You know, we have a lot of people talking about climate change. And it just occurred to me, with, with climate change being such a, a, a scary thing now. Um, I saw a, an article in the newspaper said that four out of five teachers don't teach climate change in schools and four out of five parents wish they did. Now, when I send my kids to school, I don't want them to hear about climate change. I want them to learn to read and learn to, to, to do math. And I want to learn science and learn the, the great literature that's out there. We teach them to read and write in school, not not teach them people's opinions about climate change. But it it just dawned on me, Randy, that I think this is one of the ways the devil is trying to confuse us relative to the signs and wonders. They scare us so much about the world is going to change. You know, if we go 10 years or 12 years more, the the, the world is going to be beyond the point of no return. And, And the climate, the world as we know it, won't be able to exist much longer. I think that's to get people to tune out these things. In the Great Tribulation, when the Antichrist is ruling and reigning, I imagine that's going to be some of the same things that he says when people are terrified because of the signs and the wonders that Jesus is coming. That judgment is coming. So the the blood moons, and one of the reasons why in the past we've had blood moons coming and people write books about blood moons and the prophetic fulfillment of the end of the age. I always say, just don't spend your money, throw the books away, because those things are going to happen, and as Christians, when they happen, we won't be here. So Joel chapter 2 speaks about signs of the end in the very last days, the time that we call 
the great tribulation. So, Randy, don't worry about any of that coming or being a sign that Jesus is getting near. Um, when those things actually happen, we will not be here. Praise the Lord. Uh, let's go to San Antonio now and talk with Elise on line one. Elise, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Pastor Ron, I love that man who phoned in. I uh, I want to say a few words. I know your listeners are all praying for him, but I want him to hear one voice at least know that we, I personally am going to pray very hard for him to know that God is with him and that mm-hmm. life. And, and I also want to say that I love you, Pastor Ron, and just like he said that in so many words. And I wanted him to keep in mind, uh, <clears throat> Genesis 1 really brings me a lot of comfort because it says we're made in God's image and likeness. Now, I, when you analyze that, God can't have a mass on his kidneys. So I like that. I, I use it. I run with that ball. And, and I hope he will, too, because that is a beautiful thing to remember. That we, our, not our material, because our material bodies... We do all kinds of things. But if, if there is a part of us that's spiritual, as Genesis 1 says, that's who we really are, and we also have dominion over the things of this earth. And I would say cancer is the thing of this earth. But anyway, that's all for now, Pastor, and I love you. Thank you, Elise. Thank you, Elise. God bless you. You know, I'm going to say the nicest thing about you, Elise, that I possibly can. You're just like Paula. The gift of encouragement just sort of flows from you, and I'm sure Charles and his wife... Are, uh, are enjoying your encouragement. So thank you very, very much for the call and the word of encouragement. Uh, Mary Ann says, What did Paul mean when he said he became all things to all people so some could get saved? Well, Mary Ann, let me tell you what he didn't mean, first of all, and I have a tendency as a pastor to do that because people will misuse these passages uh, he didn't mean he was going to compromise his witness. He didn't mean that he was going to walk in any kind of unholiness or hang out with sinners just so they could. What he's talking about in context, remember Paul's heart was for his Jewish brothers and sisters. He says in Romans chapter 9, if if I'd give my place in heaven, I'd exchange places with them if only they would believe this wonderful message of Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. So he didn't mean that, well, okay, if somebody's sinning or drinking, I'll sit and drink with them because I want to be all things to all people. That would compromise our witness. What he meant was, okay, to a Jew, I'll take a Jewish approach to the gospel if that's what it takes. If that's what somebody needs in order to hear, remember, he told Timothy to be circumcised, not because Timothy was under law, but because Timothy was going to take over his ministry, and his ministry always went to Jews first. And because Timothy had a Jewish mother, uh, she would he he would be considered Jewish, Jewish, and they wouldn't listen to him if he was uncircumcised. So all he said is, "Okay, Timothy, let's become Jews to Jews." Remember when he came back to Jerusalem and he paid for a couple of the young men's purification ceremony? He was becoming a Jew, not under the law, not compromising his message at all. But simply in order to win some to Christ, he was meeting them on their grounds. Now, when he met them where they were, he didn't let them stay there. But it just means, look, if that's what it takes, 
to get him saved, then that's what I'm going to do. Again, there was no compromise there at all, Marianne. So that's all he meant. And uh, it's something that we ought, uh, all of us, to emulate. We need to consider others before ourselves, sacrificing our rights for the benefit of others. Here is an anonymous question. This is the kind of question that always tugs on my heart. Uh, Pastor Ron, why does God stay silent when I'm struggling so much with major things in my life? Anonymous, God's never silent. God's never silent. I have no idea what you're asking him. I would infer from your question that you're asking God to, to help you in your struggle with whatever these major things in your life is. And I would ask you, have you opened your Bible? You know, I think sometimes we think that crying out to God, he, his response ought to be to take these things that we're struggling with away. He never promises to do that. What he promises, Anonymous, is that he will be with us as we struggle. This is such an important thing to remember. It's not, I'm going to take away all your problems. What he says is, it's okay, I'll be with you. Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Think about the pain, physical and spiritual, emotional pain that he went through. Physically, he was actually to the point where he was near death, sweating great drops of blood, sort of the body's last attempt to hydrate itself. The full forces of Satan were coming against him in the garden. Three times he cried out, Father, if this cup can pass for me, three times the Father's answer was no. And Jesus still was able to say, nevertheless, thy will, not my will, be done. So God didn't deliver him, not his own son. Why would he deliver us from things? Now, sometimes he does. But those are rare times. Those are exceptions to the rule. The rule is that, as Paul said, that we share in the fellowship of his sufferings. And it's in those times where we are struggling, where our faith is really tested. And God allows those tests in our lives because our faith has to be tested. It's easy to trust God when everything is well. But do you trust him? Are you obeying him? Do you love him? Even when things are not. So God's not silent. If you want to hear from the Lord, open your Bible. And especially, let me suggest to you, um, read that that magnificent four-chapter book of Philippians. When you're really struggling with something, read Philippians. If that doesn't encourage you, you're not encourageable. So please understand, God's there. He'll be with you. But he's not necessarily going to take the struggles away. In fact, in all probability, he's not going to take the struggles away. What he wants you to do is rely on him when you're in the middle of those struggles. So whatever the issue, Jesus is there with you. And whatever you're struggling with, it's not nearly as bad as the things that he struggled with. I know that doesn't make you feel any better. But what I'm trying to indicate to you is that he'll let you know that he's right there with you in his struggles. And to be with Jesus in the middle of a struggle is far better than not being with Jesus even if things are perfect. 
I know you have the faith to believe that. Let me also suggest this the study that I'm doing tonight in Hebrews chapter 6. Maybe you can tune in at 7 o'clock at calvarysa.com and watch the message. It will be on um, our website, calvarysa.com, tomorrow morning, very early, probably even late tonight, so you can listen to it. And I think that'll encourage you. Imagine what Abraham was struggling with. We're going to talk about tonight. I'm going to use another example of an Old Testament hero, Joseph. Imagine the things that he struggled with. And yet the whole point of it, God is faithful. He'll keep his promises, everyone. All we have to do is be able to discern what the real promises of God are. And Anonymous, he's never promised that he would take the things you're struggling with away. He just said, I'll be with you in those struggles. Hope that helps a little bit. 340-9585, Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Darren wants to know, how can we reconcile Paul saying all things are permissible with holy living? How do we reconcile, I can do anything and still have to understand our need to live holy lives? Uh, Darren, a couple things immediately jump to mind. First, um, you really need the context of when Paul says that. He said all things are permissible. He's he's certainly not saying that the things that, that are ungodly are permissible because then we get the, the whole of the Bible that says tells us the things that we can do and the things that we can't do. Rid yourselves of sexual immorality. Flee from from the things that cause you to stumble. Um and yet what he's talking about in those disputable areas, those those gray things of life where the Bible doesn't speak directly, he says Let your conscience be your guide. And this is a really, really good thing. I'll give you an example. Somebody says, well, I'm free to drink or I'm free to smoke marijuana. We've had some marijuana questions this week on the program. And I just don't understand what the big deal is. Well, it doesn't matter whether you understand the big deal. The only thing that matters is what does God say on it? And God says to be sober. So the guy that says, well, I can drink a couple beers, it's no big deal. Paul says all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. So we need to get to that place, Darren, where we say, okay, yeah, I'm free to do that, but is there any value in it for me? Anything other than my flesh just wants to do it? So what he's telling us is that we need to use that as a guide to making the right choices in life. If I'm free to do something, but that something doesn't draw me closer to Jesus, why would I want to do it? Again, I understand the struggle that we have with our flesh. But that's when we have to make the choice. I'm going to do what pleases me, or I'm going to do what pleases God. I'm going to make those choices based on what advances my walk with Jesus. What makes me more Christ-like? And Darren, I think Paul would approve of me saying this. But I think we Christians need to, instead of seeing how much we can get away with and still be saved, we need to start focusing instead on how close can we get to Jesus. Because the closer we get to Jesus, the blacker the gray areas in life become. And if we never forget that, then we'll have what we need to be able to make good choices in our lives. 
So holy living is always a priority. Here is a question from Philip. He says, I am a new believer, and understanding the Bible is so hard, so please tell me what's the real purpose of the Bible? Well, congratulations on being new to our family. Uh, I understand that to a brand new believer that the Bible is difficult to understand. So um, here's what you do, Philip. You read it. You don't focus on the things that you do that you don't understand. Instead, you focus on the things that you do understand. Now, just as there are some things in the Bible that are really difficult to understand, there are multitudes of things in the Bible that are crystal, crystal clear. Flee from sexual immorality. That's pretty clear, isn't it? So, you could say, Jesus, I understand that. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop lying. I, I understand that. I'm not going to lie anymore. The Bible talks about but no unwholesome talk come from your lips. You understand that. So instead of using coarse language, change. And when you focus on the things that you do understand, Philip, God will give you more insight on the other things that you don't understand. Those are things that you can study and sort of learn the heart of God. The real purpose of the Bible is to tell us who Jesus is and equip us to be more like him every single day. Uh, Paul and I, we tease each other. We're not techie people at all. And cars, you know, are getting increasingly techie and hard to understand. And then when I factor in my vision issues, it's just really hard for me. I can't focus on something and don't understand it well anyway. Uh, and, and so the, the, this is embarrassing, but the, the truth is there's a lot of features in our car that we've never used because we don't know how they operate. Now, in the glove box of the car, it's right in front of where I sit at the passenger side. There is a book that explains it all. And the truth is, Paul and I aren't interested enough in learning all the techie stuff to read the book. So we got all of those things that could be to our advantage that, frankly, we don't use because we haven't read the book. But I used that illustration at church not long ago, and that's exactly parallel to our experience with the Bible. God has given us a book with all the instructions. He wants us to live godly lives. He wants us to become more and more like Jesus every day. And if we're not interested enough in doing that, to open that book and follow the directions, then we're going to get lost. So that's the real purpose. It is the full and complete revelation of who Jesus is. How are you going to trust Jesus if you don't really know him? I'm not suggesting anybody's not saved. But if you don't really get to know your Savior, he's just a stranger who saved you. And so the, the relationship needs to be invested in. So, Philip, fight really hard to read the Bible. 
in a translation that you understand and discipline yourself. It's an act of training. Whenever you see discipline in scriptures, it's not punishment, it's training. So train your mind and your heart to sit still with your Bible open for a time every day. And then you'll have the answers that you're going to need as you grow more in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's interesting to me, and then I'll move on to the last question for the day. Um, It's interesting to me that we who are believers say we want to be more like Jesus, but we don't really dig in to find out who he is and how we can do that. We need to reevaluate our priorities. Here is our final question for the day. Donald says, what is the key to knowing God's perfect will instead of just hoping I'll find it? Well, let me give you two keys. Romans chapter 12 tells us uh, the answer, Donald. The answer is um, to offer our bodies to God as living sacrifices. The idea there is hold nothing back. Offer our bodies to God, holy and pleasing to him. Uh, King James says it's our reasonable service in view of everything God has done for us. Uh, the NIV says it's your spiritual act of worship. In other words, it makes your worship genuine. And then it says this, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be renewed. Renew your mind. How do you do that? In the word of God. And it says, when you do that, you reject the things of the world and you're renewing yourself daily, your mind in the word of God. Then the next sentence says, then you will be able to know, to test and approve what God's perfect, pleasing, and acceptable will is. So it's kind of a formula. Now there's one other clue here, Donald, that's the key ingredient. And that ingredient is faith. You've got to walk with Jesus and trust him to take you where you're going to go. He is the author of your faith, the the beginner of your faith, but he's also the finisher or the perfecter of your faith. Paul writes that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. doesn't say that Donald or Pastor Ron will be faithful to complete it. So here's the thing. We tuck in behind Jesus. We walk with him every day. And we're going to know we can't miss his will. I think sometimes we we sort of treat finding God's will like this epic journey. It's not. He wants us to know what is perfect, pleasing, and acceptable will is. So all we have to do is walk with him every day. And when we do that, Donald, you cannot miss God's perfect will for your life. Good week on the program. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. Lord willing, I'll be back on Monday at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. Have a great weekend. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Well, you know-